Hello, and welcome to the Book of Hebrews. Before we address chapter one, I would like to spend a little time discussing the audience of this book, its context, its author's purpose, and some of its structure. Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, ethnically Jewish converts to the Christian faith. It is actually the first of four books in a mini section of the New Testament, along with James and the two epistles of Peter, all written specifically to this group of believers and targeted at their struggles. However, as we will see, it remains full of meaning, even to a 21st century Gentile like myself. We understand the intended recipients of this epistle were Jewish converts because it presents Christ from a particular perspective as superior to every aspect of Judaism. These believers were likely still living among practicing Jews, including some of their own family members and friends, who would implore them to return to Judaism. This author, who never clearly identifies himself, cites the Old Testament throughout the book in his argument that in every aspect of Judaism, Christ is superior. Specifically, this book contrasts Christ to angels, to Moses, to Aaron, representing the priests, and the the new covenant that Christ institutes to the one given at Mount Sinai. In every point, the author uses the scriptures to show that Christ is far better than what the believers left behind in Judaism. In fact, at least 12 times the word better is used in Hebrews, pointing us to the superior reality of Christ. In addition to being a book of contrast, Hebrews is a book of calls. Specifically, the author calls time and again for the believers to come forward, to not shrink back, to put aside every encumbrance, and to run the race. These calls are interspersed throughout the comparisons to the different items, indicating to us each time we see Christ in a new aspect, we are also called to push forward in our journey and know Christ in a deeper way. So what does Hebrews mean for us as modern-day Christians? This book reveals our Christ in a way unlike any other book in the Bible. Hebrews, more than any other book, shows us what Christ is doing right now, between his ascension and his return. We find out that he is praying for us, that he is administrating the new covenant on our behalf, that he is waiting to dispense mercy and grace to those who will come forward. Without this book, Christ's present ministry would largely be mystery. But this is much more than just doctrine. Consider some of the author's phrases and how he describes things. He says, so great a salvation in chapter 2, verse 3. I love that phrase. He says, we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, he is able to save us to the uttermost because he lives always to intercede for us. In chapter 7, verse 25, this is not some theological treatise, it is full of feeling. It is full of love. You can sense the author marveling at who Christ is as he's writing and how rich and wonderful Christ is to us right now. And that is a real theme in this book. Christ is available right now, not just in the future, not just in the past, the time of our conversion, but right now. This Christ is for us and he's available to us to grab hold of. Hebrews is written to believers caught in the middle, struggling between their genuine faith in the Lord and their background. And whatever your background may be, 
This book is a call to you to come forward, to seize what God has laid out before you. So we need to put aside any encumbrance and we need to run full sprint to gain him. This book presents this marvelous Christ as both the prize and the means to gain it. And it pleads with us to go after him. One more point about this book as a whole before we turn to chapter one. Many of us are familiar with specific verses in this book. Some I've already referenced, like chapter four, verse 15, and Hebrews 7, 25. In 12, one and two, we're told that Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith, and we need to look away to him. In chapter 11, we may be familiar with the hall of faith, but as we find these verses in their context of the whole book, they stand out as even more vibrant. So as we read Hebrews, let's do our best to zoom out and consider the broader structure and argument of this book. As we do, I believe we'll find whole new aspects of Christ that we never anticipated. Now, chapter one, I want to hone in briefly on these first two verses in this chapter. God, having spoken of old in many portions and in many ways to the fathers in the prophets, has at the last of these days spoken to us in the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. So here we see in the first two verses of the book that the Son of God is God's ultimate means of expression. In the past, God had used the prophets to convey his thought, but now he has spoken to us directly in the Son. The Apostle John echoes this thought at the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. In the past, prophets spoke on God's behalf, but now the Son is coming to fully explain and fully express God to us. From the beginning of this book, the author wants us to know that the top speaking from God is in the Son. And this may be why the author does not identify himself or many of the other speakers that he Uh, quotes from in the Old Testament, so that we know that the focus of this book is the Lord Jesus. One other point in this short chapter, as we enter our first comparison, Christ being superior to angels, we have one of the clearest demonstrations of our Lord's twofold status as both God and man. In verse eight, it says, but of the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In verse 9, it says, goes on, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of exultant joy above your partners. As the Son of God is God, verse 8 addresses him as God. But as the Son is also a man, God is called his God in verse 9. Not only does this verse clearly establish the deity of Christ, it also forces us to accept what our minds cannot quite grasp, that this one is simultaneously God and man. This is just one of the many riches that will come forth as we mine this book. I'll stop here, but there is much more to say about this chapter and this book. I am glad there are 12 more chapters for us to explore, and I encourage you to find Christ in your reading of Hebrews.